lifeless stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. (laughs) Remember how he told you, well... He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the leaven and to all the rest. And that was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stopping and looking in, he saw the linen linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God Almighty, how awesome are your works, Lord God, that the grave and death could not hold Jesus. And I stand in awe of that, Lord God, that Jesus is alive and he's at the right hand of the Father. And because he lives, we live. Lord God, I praise you and I thank you, Lord God, that we have life through Jesus Christ. Lord God, that death does not have the victory over us either. Because of what Jesus Christ did. Lord God, I pray for all those today, Lord God. Including myself, who may have lost hope, Lord God. Who may be going through pain and grief. Sickness, whatever it is, Lord God. And they're losing hope. Father, three words. He is risen. Resonate. That He is risen. And He is alive. And because of that, we have hope. We are not without hope, Lord God. Let us be full of the light of Christ, showing the hope to the world that is just grieving and looking for hope. God, we have hope. And let us not contain it within ourselves and in these four walls, but take it out there to the world who is dying. Lord God, forgive us for not doing what you've called us to do, Lord God. Forgive me for not giving that truth, Lord God, and the love of Christ, Father. Oh, Lord God, I pray for all of us that we, we live in the hope of Christ every day. That sickness, death, pain, sorrow, grief has nothing over Jesus Christ. That this is not the end of us, Lord God. That it's more to come. And Lord God, as I pray that as Jackie gives your word today, Lord God, that we just remember the simplicity, the simplicity of this, Lord God, that we don't make it too complex. As there's so much theology and so many things, Lord God, that I will never understand. But the one thing that I knew, do know, and I know for a fact, without a shadow of doubt, that Jesus Christ is risen and he is alive. And we have that hope that we will be with him one day. That death will not keep us from him because he holds us. And Lord God, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. For you are worthy. And we as your church, Lord God, will lift our voices to you, Lord God. Because you are worthy of all praise, Lord God. Do not be without hope today. Um, 
Do not be without hope today. He is risen. Look to him. Seek him with all that is within you, for he is good. Lord God, we give you all praise and all glory for who you are. Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen. I think sometimes we come to certain parts of the Bible, you know, we've, we've heard about the resurrection a lot. Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, that's one of the primary tenets of the Christian faith. And when we come to it, I think it's important to remind ourselves why that matters. So I appreciate Wesson's prayer, because it, it does matter. What, do you understand what the resurrection means? Um, so, good luck, Carol. In Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to share this with you guys. It says this, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's why the resurrection matters. The resurrection matters because you and I were dead in our trespasses in sin. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're still dead. And the message of the resurrection is you don't have to be. And I know I, I spent a long period of time in my life. You know, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up um, coming and listening to the messages. I probably had a, a pretty good comprehension of theology all the way to the time I was 18. And when I was 18 years old, my, my dad decided he was going to leave my mom. And initially, my dad was an assistant pastor at the time. And initially, when he told me, I thought, well, I guess I can understand because mom was not any picnic. When I was probably 11 years old, my mom was an executive secretary, and uh, she bent over to pick up a ream of paper. Now, a lot of us might do that any given part of our day, but it would be the last movement she ever made without paying her whole life, till she got Alzheimer's. So she ruptured something in her back just picking up a ream of paper doctors went in to fix it should be simple her spinal cord comes outside of her uh, spine they cut her open cut the nerves and that was it so for the rest of her life from probably her mid-30s till like i said till she got alzheimer's she was she would take more pain pills than you have probably seen in your life she probably had three or four doctors that would prescribe her medication. She'd have so much Vicodin, we called it vitamin V. And Vicodin everywhere, she'd go get shots. I, I don't remember really mom being very coherent most of my childhood. Now, that doesn't mean she never had a good day, but, but there, most of the time that was my memory. So when dad said, you know, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm, uh, I got to go. This is not working out. I remember thinking, well, I can kind of get that. And then he left. 
and now who's taking care of mom? Now, wait a minute, I, I didn't know if I thought all that stuff through so well. So I was the oldest, so that became my job, to take care of mom. So my resent for, resentment for my father blew up. Still today, I talk to my dad maybe twice a year. I'm not still mad at him. We're okay. But our 13 years of that kind of leaves a scar. You know what I mean? If you choose to live your life in anger and hatred for 13 years, you, you don't, that don't just wipe away. It, it leaves hardness of heart. So I'm still working on it. We're all a work in progress, no? So, anyways, I have all this resentment and all this animosity and all this hatred. And my mom, she struggled with... Now, dad leaving threw her into not just having emotion, or physical pain, but emotional pain. And, uh, you know, things went from bad to worse to worse to, you know... I don't know. I went into Marine Corps. I was stoked. Like, whew, I got out. Well, I left her to my brothers. And then... They have their resentment, right? And it just goes on and on and on. And I was so angry, so mad, because my circumstances were unfair. Anybody ever feel like your circumstances are unfair? Oh, just, just me? That's it? Let me know, because I'll go back to my notes, go back to the message I was supposed to preach. <laughs> so... I got, I have all this, uh, I, I'm mad, you know, life, it didn't happen like it's supposed to happen. We're supposed to have Christmas as a family forever. We're supposed to have grandparents for your kids, your, right? All the things that you think are how life's supposed to go. But none of those things happened. They're, that's all over. So we, you know, I'm struggling with, with all this anger. So there was one place I could throw it all. Right at the foot of Jesus. So I, I struggled, you know, I struggled. I, I think I hated God for 13 years. And my intense hatred of Him did not make my life better. It made my life worse. Because the only one who had hope for what I was doing, for the struggle that I got inside my life, for the pain I'm feeling and the frustration. The only one who has the answer, that's the one I choose to hate. You ever notice that when we are in pain, when we're hurt, we tend to pour out our derision and anger on the wrong places? Right? Like, like I, how many times have, have you had a bad day, you come home and you're mad at your wife? And she wasn't at work. She did not do nothing to you. She probably had a long day too. Right? But we come home and we, we, it, we just transfer all that anger on to the people we shouldn't transfer to. <clears throat> so the one place I could go for hope, I ran away from. 13 years. If, if, if somebody told me there was church, I was so far away from church, you could not get me further from church. I still have, I had a friend who got a hold of me about four years ago. And uh, 
on Facebook. And then lately, all my Marine Corps buddies, which was the darkest prife, not because of the Marine Corps, but just because of the choices I was making in life, my darkest period of time, like when I was the worst I was going to be. And uh, they get a hold of me now, and my Facebook pops up. I'm a preacher, and it's got me in Israel, standing underneath a waterfall, in, uh, in uh, uh, where am I, babe? No, it's not the Philippines. That's, not, that's the wrong answer. <coughs> Just in case you think I'm in his mind, I'm actually back here. Yeah. She's, she is. Did some of you guys think she was just in my head? Wow. No, I actually heard her voice. Anyway, where, it's where David hid in the, in the caves. And there's a waterfall at the very end where David hid from Saul and you, uh, in Getty. So you go... <laughs> Perfect timing, babe. So I go all, we go all the way back to the very, very, very back of Engedi. Everybody doesn't go that far when they go to Israel. And there's a waterfall. And you can get under it. And so I got this picture of me under the waterfall and all this stuff on my Facebook page about being a pastor. And literally every single one of them instant messaged me immediately and are like, what happened to you? <laughs> and a couple of them were believers. And they're like, I got to hear this story. Because the guy I knew in the Marine Corps would not have ever went to a church. And that's the truth. I put all that hatred and anger at God for everything that was ever sideways in my life. And for 13 years, I got married. Me and Kathy got married. I was a horrible husband. Um, those of you guys who know our story, I cheated on her multiple times. Um, the reason why abortion is a big issue for me is because I utilized it to get out of trouble a few times. So I have babies in heaven <coughs> because of my selfishness, and I'm not okay with that. I, I live with that now, those choices I made because, like I said, you know, you, you get mad at God and you run the opposite way and do the opposite thing. If God's life and you're doing the opposite of Him, where are you? Why does the resurrection matter? Because he gives life out of death. He brings life out of death. So, in the middle of all that chaos in Ephesians chapter 2, I just relate to Ephesians chapter 2 and the fact that I was dead in my trespasses and sin. And that was it. That's all the hope that, that I ever had was for one more day to be worse than the day before. And every time something bad happened... I'd tell Kathy, God hates me. That was my go-to phrase. God hates me. Why'd your dad leave? God hates me. Why is your mom hurt? God hates me. Why is life hard? God hates me. But that wasn't true, was it? But the reality is that that's how I'm looking at my life. That's how I'm choosing to view my life. That's how I'm seeing it all. So when we sing songs about praise the one who... who took my sin, who took my death, who took all that stuff I was in, those are powerful things. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is pretty incredible. I, I still remember standing in the Marine Corps in a, 
office of the colonel and the colonel looking at me and saying, hey, we know that your son's about to be born. Gosh, you know, you can't come on the float with us to the Persian Gulf anymore. Oh, cool. Well, that seems like good news until he says, you have HIV. How long do you think you can live in sin and not get touched by it? How long do you think you can wallow in a mire and not come up stained? So Kathy, seven months pregnant, I go home and tell a seven-month pregnant woman with her first child who has lived through more pain than she ought to have to over and over and over and over again. I'll do better. I'll be better. I'll stop. I got it together. I'm going to straighten my life out. Now you go tell her you have HIV. Babies coming in a few months. Was a stressful time. But that day, that moment, that that line, that you have HIV, and stand in front of Kathy and telling Kathy in our single wide trailer in Midway Park, North Carolina, with pink carpet and red curtains. It was terrible looking. But on the, it just etched in my head. So you guys have those memories that are super vivid? Just that's a super vivid. I think because I was probably staring at the carpet or so much while I was telling her, and and to have her say to me that she didn't want me to die, and the reality is the only thing I could think about was that how much I needed to die because gosh, I am such a wretch. So when we come together and we sing songs like Amazing Grace, and we we have that line in Amazing Grace that, that I was a wretch. I don't. I have no problem saying it. I was a wretch. I was blind. I was dead. My life was dead. Oh, I, I had stuff. If you value the measure of your life by your stuff, you're a moron. The stuff is worthless. The Bible calls you a fool. The man, remember the man who had all the barns full of stuff? And he said, oh, t- next week I'm going to build bigger barns so I can hold more of my stuff. And then I'll take my ease. And the Lord said, thou fool, today your soul is required of you. Today you're going to give an account before God. And your stuff won't save you. Because it's just stuff. I had stuff. But my life was a wreck. I was not alive. I was in the proper... uh, connotation of Ephesians chapter 2 dead in my trespasses in sin and I remember getting down on my knees right there and on my knees in front of that couch and crying out to God saying you know if if my wife can show me grace after everything I've done to her then I don't know what to do the reality is I'm a mess. And I remember the story in the Bible. You guys remember the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? Everybody with me? And when Jesus feeds the 5,000, he, he gets a little boy's lunch. And what's a little boy's lunch for 5,000 people? But I just remember thinking the faith of the little boy to bring the lunch. And take that lunch and set it in front of the disciples. And the disciples to take that lunch and go to Jesus is all we got. But Jesus can make a lot out of a little, can he? 
So I just remember on that couch, sitting on that couch, kneeling in front of the couch. <clears throat> I don't know what's left of my life. But it's all yours. Lock, stock, broken barrel. Every piece. I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know how long it's going to go. I don't know how long that ride's going to happen. But I remember that down in front of that couch saying, God, you can have it. It's all yours. This mess. And Ephesians 2.4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Not only that, and He has raised us up with Him. And not only that, has seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? So that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God just does it because. Just because. The Bible, the theological term, (laughs) sorry, is that God is omnibenevolent. means he's all love. A lot of times when we think about the attributes of God, we think about them on a scale, right? Like, this end of the scale is love, and that end of the scale is wrath, and so God exists somewhere in the middle. But that's not how the Bible describes Him. God is all love, and all wrath, and all justice, and all goodness, and all kindness, and all powerful. And He's all of those things all the time. That's what makes Him God. So that when God has wrath, it's not like our wrath where I blow up and freak out. It's a perfect wrath. It's a just wrath. And I deserved God's just wrath. I deserved everything that landed on my head. So for the next year, I, Marine Corps sent me to <clears throat> hospitals, draining blood. I watched people die all around me. I, I sat in hospital rooms and watched guys who walked in. A year earlier, just like me, just as healthy as me, and in three months, they're dead. The HIV would go to full-blown AIDS, and then once they hit full-blown AIDS, back in those days, that's the 80s, guys. They didn't have all these medicines they got now. In the 80s, you died. If you were around in the 80s, you watched the news, you remember, every night on the news, they were talking about the AIDS epidemic. Well, I was right in the middle of it. Getting an opportunity to talk to guys who were going to die about the fact that Jesus Christ had made me alive. And even though you're going to die, it's still Jesus Christ who can make you alive. He's the only hope. The only hope you got. I look back on those days and I wonder sometimes what they were all about. I'd go and Come home and Kathy put on a brave face. But you know, you can only deal with that stuff for so long. Like the, the uh, crazy anticipation of waiting for someone to tell you, you have AIDS now. <clears throat> or that she has HIV, she tested negative. The baby, when, J- when J.C. was born, <clears throat> when J.C. was born, they took him 
Uh, first thing they did was draw blood from him, test him. And they had a helicopter waiting on the roof of the hospital to take him anywhere if he tested positive. He tested negative, so he got to come home. But Kathy didn't get a breastfeed because uh, if she has HIV, that they thought she might be able to transmit the virus to the baby that way. So we fed a baby, our first baby, with a bottle. All because my sin. All because what sin does is destroy. And if you think you can sin and it's not a big deal and it doesn't matter, I'm going to tell you there will be a reckoning. There will be a biblical reckoning. And you don't want that. The Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sin, but he made us alive. So that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 6, then how can we who have died to sin, what's the next line? Live any longer in it. If I'm dead to sin, I've got to get out of it, right? So Kathy had given me lots of lists during our early marriage. And I never listened to any of them. And we started going to a church. Enon Chapel. I think it was Southern Baptist. Probably has a lot of things about how I ended up. But I remember it. Uh, that's not a bad thing, necessarily. Uh, but at Enon Chapel, there's, there's this preacher, and he gets up there and he tells a story. And he's, he's preaching out of Hebrews chapter 6. And as he's preaching out of Hebrews chapter 6, he tells a story. He says, Dad, he, he always wants to hurry home and, and, and get to his son. And every day he'd get to his son, and they'd play catch in the front yard. The last thing they did before they went in and had dinner. It was their thing, father-son thing. And so every day, this is what they did. And one day, Dad's late, and... He's not there, but as he turns the corner, he sees his house and his boys out there in the front yard just throwing a ball up against the garage door like they do. And back in the old days, they used to be made out of wood. Now they're made out of something else, like beer cans. So if a cat jumps on it, you know, it puts a big dent in it. But anyway, back then, they were wood, so he could bounce a ball off it. And he's bouncing a ball off the garage door and... And the father watches the ball. He bounces off the garage door, goes between the son's legs. He misses it. Turns around, runs out to get the ball, runs in the street, gets hit by a car right in front of his dad. So the dad, you know, pulls over, jumps out. His son's laying there. He's, he's hurt. He's called for the ambulance. His wife comes down. Him and his wife jump in the car, follow the ambulance to the hospital. You know, if you've ever been there, they, they, they take them back. They're working on their son. They come out and give you news about how it's going, what's going on. And, and uh, the doctors come in and, and said, I'm sorry, we couldn't save your little boy. So dad and mom, they go back home and they're pretty low, pretty depressed. And as they, as they pull in the driveway, he can see the spot in the road. You know, the dark spot where... His son had bled. And cars were just driving through it like it's no big deal. So he got out the car and he ran down into the street and he threw his arms up and he said, Stop driving through my son's blood like it's nothing. And then the preacher looked at me. And he said, that's what some of you are doing to Jesus right now. You're driving through his blood like it don't mean a thing. And God wants you to know it does. Because he who is life 
became death for me so I could live again. So I could come up out of all of that. And I just remember when he said those things, I, that was it. Oh, I didn't become perfect overnight, just so you know. <laughs> There's about 20 years of misery still to, to get the new creation to come out, you know. You guys relate to that? But I'm on the road, moving in the right direction. And when I look at Ephesians chapter 2 and I just go, wow, that's, <clears throat> that's the beauty of the resurrection. Because the beauty of the resurrection is that God, He won't leave us, he won't leave us dead. And so I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm, I've got motivation. I want to I be the man God wants me to be. Not, it's not about me and justice and what's fair and what's not fair. My relationship with my mom gets better. And my relationship with my wife, it gets better and still getting better. And we've been married 33 years. We survived all that stuff. Don't tell me you can't make it. I don't know what you're going through, but trust me. I, we got one on you. We can go. We can make it because we surrender our life to Christ and we don't live for ourselves anymore. We live for Him. And so we're, we're going on and, uh, and I have, all of a sudden I have compassion for my mom. I didn't have compassion before. And I've got forgiveness for my dad. I didn't have forgiveness before. And I have love for my wife. Like real love. Not just the word. Anybody can say the word. Real love makes choices to die to itself, right? And to live for somebody else. To be a part of, of helping somebody else and engage and energize someone else and not just themselves. And so <clears throat> I think things are going good. But Kathy's still waiting for tomorrow with bad news. She had a, a dream, and in her dream, I'm dead. She's at the cemetery sitting over my gravestone, and there's a gravestone next to me where the baby is. So me and the baby are dead, and she's coughing. So her worst nightmare was she would outlive the two of us. So she made a deal with me. We still have this deal today that um, she has to die first, so... Nobody has to worry about me getting hurt in a motorcycle wreck or nothing. <clears throat> I had a truck run over me a few years ago, and I'm still here. So I think God honored that deal. So I'll, I'm going to have to go first. Or, sorry, she's going to have to go first. <laughs> I, told her, uh, I told her, if I get sick and it's looking bad, I'll just take you out in the backyard. and then <clears throat> So you don't have to go through with it. Anyways, what's that got to do with anything? Nothing. So, uh, so that was her worst, her worst nightmare. And I remember she, she told me, she came to the kitchen table and she's crying out to God, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I don't know how much longer I can go through this. God, I don't know this. I'm starting to hate my husband. Because, you know, it's kind of all my fault, right? So the Lord give her a scripture, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. You guys probably heard of it before. The scripture says... For no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. And with each temptation, God will give you a way of escape. For what purpose? So that you might be able to bear it. So she held on to that promise and she got up and she walked out and to the mailbox. And in the mailbox was a letter from the Marine Corps explaining that the last blood test I had came back negative. And they don't know. 
This is how the Marine Corps does stuff. You guys do whatever you want to with the story. The Marine Corps said on this date you had HIV and this date you don't. Sorry, we're not trying to explain it. We're just telling you. <clears throat> Rest of my career in the Marine Corps, I couldn't get a dentist to look at me because they're still pretty freaked out. And I was always a little worried somewhere down the line it was just going to show up again. But it's been kind of a long time. Been on Marine Corps 35 years or something. So I've been out a long time, have three kids and three grandkids and 33 years of marriage, and it's still gone. So when I, when I look at Scripture where we talk about the resurrection, I'm saying God takes us from death to life. And my life is a perfect example of how he does it. Now, does that mean God always heals? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God will take you from death to life. He'll pull you out of that place of death and dying where nothing matters and everything comes together because you have Christ. Not, and if you die, you'll live again. Death has no sting. What's the, what's the thing? What, what is the sting of death? The sting of death was sin. That meant if I died, I was dead. There was no hope for me. Death was, was getting paid what I deserved. But now when I die, I have hope because Jesus Christ paid my debt. So death has no sting. Death is a doorway to Jesus. Death is a doorway. Man, when we die, we, we close our eyes here. We open them to Him. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord immediately in His presence. That's what the resurrection has accomplished. He died on the cross for my justification. He's raised for my glorification. I'm justified because He shed His blood for me. I'll stand with Him in glory one day because He rose. We don't have to stay in death. We don't have to be stained in sin. We don't have to find ourselves in those places. If you're in that place today, God wants you to know... That's not where He wants you to be. Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross for us to be there. Because there's an, in, an impact of the resurrection. This story that we read, or the prayer that, that Weston prayed, there's an impact of the resurrection. Because 20 years later, after the resurrection, 20 years later, this is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. says, Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Which you received, and in which you stand. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I have delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. He gave his life for me. I was dead, and he became dead for me. Now, my, maybe my story may illustrate it better, but it's no different in your story. Wherever you are at, if you're not in Christ, you're dead in sin. So Jesus Christ became your death, so you could become his life. Paul would write in, in Corinthians uh, 5.21, he would say, that he who knew no sin became sin for me, so that I might become the righteousness of God. So I, I, I'm just trying to put that in our minds so we can understand. He became me. He became my death. 
so that I could become his life. And that's what he gave when he died according to the scriptures. Isaiah 53 tells us that long ago, in fact, Isaiah is such a great, great book to study for. But Isaiah, the promise in the beginning of Isaiah, <coughs> Isaiah says, man, we're a mess. You guys are all screwed up. And Isaiah says, and I'm pretty screwed up too. And, and God doesn't want us to be this way. I don't really know what's going to happen. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees the Lord. It says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And he, he says to God, oh God, I, we're a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live in the middle of a people who have unclean lips. Which is a way of saying we're all screwed up. And I don't know, I don't know what you're going to do with us, God. How, how do you get us from where we are to where we ought to be? And so God sends an angel to touch Isaiah's lips with a coal. And he says, this is how. I will forgive your sin. Your sins are purged. That day in that front of that couch in that single wide trailer, that's what God said to me. When I come before him and I said, I'm a wretch, I'm a mess. I don't know what you want to do with this God, but whatever it is, is yours. He said to me, your sin is purged. It's gone. I forgive you. Do you know how much power is in those words? Do you know that that's why the devil makes you not use them? All those years I was angry at my father, angry at my mother. You know why the devil wants to keep me there? Because there's power in those words. I forgive you. And if I have been forgiven, I no longer have the right to withhold them from anyone. If I have been forgiven, especially me, I don't get no grudges. Trust me, you and me, if, if, I, if you ever done something to me, I forgot about it. I guarantee you. I forgave you long ago. I don't hold that. Because I was forgiven much. And him who is forgiven much... Loves much. Yeah, I don't, I don't hold on to that stuff. There's power in. And so when, when the Lord whispers those words to me, you are forgiven. There's power in that. A power that, that makes you believe that now I'm a new creation created in Christ Jesus. That now I, I don't have to be the old me. I can be something totally new. And I'm testimony of the fact that it's real. That God can make you new. I'll give you the phone numbers of my buddies in the Marine Corps right now. You can call them today. What kind of guy was Jackie? Just you be prepared. You ask the question of what answer you're going to get. And I promise you it will not be rated G. Some of them guys are still in that. Still in that world. But... God took me from death, from darkness, and translated me into the kingdom of His light. He delivered me. So Paul says, first off, <clears throat> I delivered to you this, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried and raised on the third day according to the Scripture. Psalms 16 declares to us that God will not allow His Holy One to see corruption. 
The Jew believed corruption happened on the fourth day. So if the Holy One, the Messiah, died, He had to rise before corruption. His body, God said, your body, the Messiah's body, will not rot in the ground. So on the third day, He gets up, according to the Scriptures. <clears throat> he was buried. And on the third day, He rose, according to the Scriptures. And then it says, He appeared to Cephas and the twelve. And He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me. It's Paul talking. Paul has a similar story, right? He spent his life hating God, or hating Jesus at least. Wanting to wipe out Christians, kill them wherever he found them. And then one day he met him. The one day he met him. And I used to think, you know, it's weird that God would, you know, just come out of nowhere and appear before Paul and, and kind of save him out. You know, what about everybody else that's a mess? Yeah, I think he does that to everybody. He did it for me. It didn't look like Paul's story. In my story, it looked like dying of AIDS. In my story, it looked like destroying my marriage, ruining my life, ruining my kids. And then in the middle of the darkness, this light comes. And it's just this little spark of hope, right? And in that little spark of hope, life blossoms. Paul said the same thing. What did Paul say? I was on the road and I'm going to go arrest these Christians and wipe them out. And on the road, all of a sudden, I, a bright light. That's what he said, right? Bright light. And <clears throat> he said, Lord, who are you? <laughs> and he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's hard to kick against the goads, ain't it? What's he saying to Paul? He's saying, man, you know what you ought to be doing. And you know you ain't doing it. And this morning, there are some of us here looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and singing songs of His resurrection who know there's something I'm supposed to be doing and I ain't doing it. There's someone I'm supposed to be and I'm not being it. There's something that God is wanting to accomplish and work in my life and I'm not allowing it. Look, the scripture says this, guys, that the, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. God doesn't run you like a puppet. I don't care what anybody says. He doesn't take over your body, neither does the devil. Yet most of the time, the messes in our life are belong to us. He doesn't do those things. He waits for our surrender. That means when I finally say, you know what, I surrender, God. I'm tired of trying to have my sin and you. So I lay down my sin. And I give you whatever's left. That's what God's waiting for. If you ain't experienced that, you haven't experienced the resurrection to life. 
You haven't experienced the Spirit breathing life into the darkness, the light blossoming in your heart. And all of a sudden you open your eyes and you go, Dang, I don't even like that guy, but I think I love him. And all of a sudden people, things just start to change. No, it ain't fast. I, if, if I was a lame man, it took a while for my legs to grow back. I, I ran on stumps for a while. But they came, little by little. But I don't ever forget where I came from. That's what the resurrection means. That we who were dead can be made alive in Him. That He wants to deliver you from your sin, but you can't hold on to your sin in one hand and Him in the other. you got to pick. You gotta let go. You gotta say, I don't want my sin. I wanna let my sin go. Your sin's gonna kill you. Sin sin does those two things, it just brings destruction and death. <clears throat> and everybody thinks it's not gonna happen to me. It's not gonna happen to me. Man. Everybody thinks they're the exception to the rule. Nobody's the exception to the rule. Everybody has a reckoning. Resurrection Day, this, this chapter, this concept of the resurrection, that Jesus rose from the dead, that people came and saw the grave and they freaked out and they're confused and they're afraid and they're excited about what it might mean. And, and as they move from that point forward in the resurrection, they get more and more clarity. You, you catch it? We'll see it next week as we go through the text and we'll see <clears throat> they get more and more clarity the further from the initial shock they get. They, they, they are visited by Jesus, they see Him, they struggle, they go through all that stuff and more and more and more clarity the further they go. And the same thing is true of you and me. When the resurrection dawns in my life, there's a lot of confusion and weirdness and I'm a little freaked out in the beginning, but... We just keep going from that day of our resurrection and things get more and more clear the further we go. Walk in the resurrection. Walk in the life. Walk in the light. Say goodbye to the dark. If you got sin in one hand and you're trying to hold Jesus in the other, pitch it. Pitch it. Let it go. It's better with him anyway. Life has been so much better since Jesus has been in my life. Oh, we still suffer. We still take left turns when we think we're going to go right. Everything in your life is not going to work out. Right? I was a wretch for the birth of two of my children. When they were babies, when they were little, <clears throat> I was still getting my way out of all my nonsense. The one time I get my life together and I'm going to Bible college and I'm loving Jesus and I'm praying and my life looks good and I'm thinking, finally, finally I got it together. And Kathy gets pregnant again and I'm like, oh, this baby I'm going to name out of the Bible. This will be the mark. This is the guy. This is the child for when Jackie got his life together. His name is Joseph. He's 22 years old and is completely autistic. 
And that wasn't what I wanted. But it's what God gave me. And it's what I needed. And if, if I was going to continue to go on with God, I needed Job because I've learned more about my relationship with God through my relationship with Job. I see, I see God's fingerprints all over it. But once upon a time, a big pouty mess. Come on, God. I'm finally got it together. Yeah, God doesn't work like we work. You're either with him or you're not. You either trust him or you don't. And God wants you to trust him. All in. All, it's all him. Let him take you from the kingdom of darkness and put you into the kingdom of his light. Because he is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. Because he has risen. In a couple of weeks, we're going to get Easter again. Woo! (laughs) And it'll still be true then. And it'll still be true a month after Easter. And a year. And ten years. He is able to make sense out of whatever darkness you're in. You just got to hand it over, give up the reins, and let God do his thing. I promise you, when you stand before a holy God at the end of days, at the reckoning, you won't have to say, I'm ashamed. Rather, you'll get to say, I I miss you, Jesus. I couldn't wait to see your face. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want. Amen? Won't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word, God, and for how you sometimes work. God, I pray, Lord, even uh, even this morning, we're, we're going to just continue to sing incredible songs about what you have done, what it means. God, let it not just be words that we sing. Let it not just be words that we say. Pray, God, that we, your people, know what it is to be in death and be translated into life. I pray that we, your people, know what it is to be in the kingdom of darkness and then be ushered into the kingdom of light. I pray that we understand what it is to be dead but made alive through Christ Jesus our Lord. God, you are able. So by your Spirit move in our hearts and lives. Be glorified and magnified in this place because above all things, God, we want to honor you. It is about you and lifting you up. And your word declares that if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So God, I pray that now we are lifting you up. We want to see your face. We want to hear your words. We want to be glorified. We want to glorify you and magnify you as we, as we sing and as we share. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we can say, I know the things we say are true because I've been through it. Breathe your life 
on us now. In Jesus' name, amen.